I'm going to continue speaking on a sermon series on wisdom from above. To those that um, haven't heard my first one, like on the podcast, you can go to our podcast from a few weeks back from this message and you'll see part one, which is the introduction to wisdom from above. And it's based on James 3, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And it says, who of James or Jacob, as his real name is in Hebrew, who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, not hypocritical. And some, and some, I think this would probably be mostly among believers, because as Dave said, what we're seeing in the world, even among believers, isn't exactly representational of what Jacob is talking about. As we see in James, Jacob, there are two types of wisdom. There is the wisdom from hell, demons, and the world. It creates jealousy, disorder, and all types of sinful activity. Then there is the wisdom from God. It is pure, holy, gentle, peaceful, and on and on, as the scripture says. So the wisdom we have, the wisdom we have here and the people that propagate it have an effect on other people's lives, whether good or bad. If we, as they say, the people you surround yourself with, you become like. And before I knew the Lord, that was one of my big problems because I'm basically sort of an easygoing person. And so I'd get around these profane people at work and then I'd start imitating them. I don't do that anymore. So the music we listen to, the videos we see, we can become, they, we, that, that becomes part of our life if we're not careful. If we surround ourselves with ungodly, profane people and wisdom, then we run the risk of becoming like them. On the other hand, if we put the Lord and his word first and seek after his kingdom and wisdom, it will change our lives for the better. This sermon series will deal with issues such as this. We need to identify what is godly wisdom and let it change our lives, changing us into the image of Messiah Yeshua, as his word says it will, if we let it. So this one we talked last time, and those that are on the podcast can hear it on the podcast. We're going to be talking about the first one where he says, the wisdom from above is first pure. And as... Um, as James said in his writing, there is a wisdom from God and a wisdom from man. God, and this is sort of a review, God and his wisdom doesn't seek out just the wealthy and powerful. Instead, God and his wisdom seeks out the opposite. God goes after the nobodies, the foolish ones in the eyes of the world, 
the not so rich and not rich at all, those without money, the disease, the poor, and those that are not powerful at all, which is most of us. Yeshua is wisdom. He's not the embodiment of wisdom, because then that would mean wisdom is outside of God. It's something different than God. But Yeshua is wisdom. It's wisdom itself. To trust in Yeshua is to walk in wisdom. Preaching the crucified life is wisdom. God has rejected the wisdom of the world and all its corrupted advice. Most of all, wise people show it by their godly life. Now, where it says that the God, that in, in Jacob, it says that wisdom is first pure. In the Greek, it's hagnos. And that means free from ceremonial defilement, defilement like ready to be offered up as a sacrifice. It's also holy, sacred, venerable, pure, chaste, undefiled, guiltless of persons or things. Synonyms include winnowed, as when you throw wheat into the air and separate it, wheat from the chaff, or purged through fire. And before we move on, we need to break down that definition a little. Think about the phrase, free from ceremonial defilement. All of us know that almost all of the sacrifice specified in the Tanakh needed to be burned up. Then it was pure and acceptable to the Lord. So I ask, is the wisdom we received, whether we receive from a follower of Yeshua or of the world, is it free from defilement? If God's wisdom is pure and free from defilement, is the wisdom we receive from others now we're not perfect so we're going to get imperfect staying but still we've just got to be discerning that's what the scripture says to test everything what about the rest of the definition of a pure is it holy and sacred that is, is separated unto god if it is not then it is defiled see what i mean what about chaste is the wisdom free from sexual innuendo and sexual defilement and that is a lot more common among believers than you think. Do you see where these definitions are aiming at? Compton symptoms, synonyms include winnowed or purged. Now, God and his wisdom, straight from his mouth, so to speak, does not need to be purged with fire or winnowed, separated from weeds, wheat, we, you know, the wheat from the weeds and chaff. However, many times, because we are sinners, saved by his grace, we have to purge, burn off, and win all the advice and wisdom we hear. And he does the same to us, to purify us. We are born sinners, and even when we are born again, we still have to struggle with our old nature. So the Lord puts us through the fire and hard times. Why? To make us a vessel acceptable for his use. I have seen pastors make sexual comments from the pulpit. One famous pastor just recently, who will remain nameless, and his comment said something from a person in the book of Genesis using a sexual innuendo that was extremely inappropriate. And he's like one of the top, most well-known pastors in the United States. Psalms frequently talks about God's wisdom. How pure is God's word? It's pure beyond our wildest imagination. Look at Psalm chapter Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of Adonai are pure words, 
like silver refined in an earthly crucible, purified seven times. Most of my scriptures are from the um, tree of life. Yeah, thank you. So it's sort of a balance of both. The word in Hebrew is tahor, which means almost the same in English as I gave the definition in Greek. It's pure physically and pure and clean morally and ethically. So God's words physically, morally, and ethically are pure. However, it is beyond human cleanliness and purity, but much more. Whatever we think as a metal that's clean, God's word is several levels higher than that, almost beyond our imagination. Psalm 119, verse 140 has the same thing. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Now, I'm not familiar with the process of purifying metals, but from what I understand, it's purified under intense heat for however long, and it could be one or two or three times till all the impurities are taken out. But Scripture says in Psalm 12, it says it's as if it's purified seven times. Now, that's a number of perfection. So it may be somewhat of a metaphor, but the concept is it's been purified God's wisdom is so pure that it's perfect. And as sinful human beings, it's probably beyond our ability to understand how pure that is. And I'm not calling for sinless perfection. But at the same time, we need to, to have that discernment that um, there is not a drop of the worldliness in God's wisdom. It's pure beyond our dream. Just think how valuable a metal will be if it was purified seven times. So that gives us an idea of what our priorities should be, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things. So it's like if God is our life, then the first person we should go to beside you know, our friends or our spouses should be the Lord because that's where your best advice is. So the thought needs to be considered is the wisdom you give and receive from others, is it pure? And again, it's, I know we are imperfect, but maybe that's why God puts us through the fire with or without the word of God, to purify us so we can be an acceptable vessel to receive and give God's perfect wisdom to others. And the place to start is reading God's word and letting the Ruach of Adonai purify us with his word. In Psalm 51, verse 8, it says, um, David says, Surely you desire truth in the inner being. Make me know wisdom inwardly. God's word is truth, according to Psalm 51.8. It needs to be inside of our spirit and mind. God desires truth in the inner being, as the scripture says. That way, the word will burn up the dross in our life. Is uh, Paul, as the writer of Hebrews 4.12, whoever it is, says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing right through to a separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So basically what we're saying is that for God to purify us, we need to be in the word and in the study of his word. When we seek God's pure wisdom, we will find it cutting through us, 
cleaning us, rebuilding us, tearing through us. This is part of the sanctification process. This is why we need God's word to cleanse us and purify us. Only his pure word and wisdom will do what he wants to do. It's, why we, it's also why we need each other and be in a community surrounded by people who are like-minded and will hold each other biblically accountable. One of the things I've learned, I started to read a book I didn't finish because I, it was too repetitious, but it said up till the Gutenberg did the printing press, books were a rare commodity. So Bibles were construct, the Bible was constructed by God to be heard. And we would like get verses here and there, but if you read like in Ezra and Nehemiah, they would sit and listen to the word all day. Somebody would just speak chapter after chapter, book after book after book, all day. And that's how they were taught. They were taught to memorize it because they just had no choice. Nobody had a Bible at home. It was too expensive. Uh, only the extremely rich had a Bible, um, which would be like kings and queens and princes, and how many are those? Like one in 10 million. So I started, when I do my daily Bible study, when I get to the New Covenant, I'd go online to an audio Bible and listen to it online because that's the way it was constructed. That's the way God constructed. That's why there were things like they say that if you see a word repeated three or four times, God's trying to get his point across. That's his way of underlining. See, we're so used to seeing visual, we forget they didn't have that option. When you hear it, the only way God could get a message across was to construct the word in such a way as to get the point across audibly. So he would hear the same thing three times, and they're like, oh, you would miss that when you're reading. So I'm starting to do that now as listening to my daily reading by listening to an audible version of it while I'm reading it. It's very interesting. Can we say that we love God's pure word? The Bible states that in the last days people will depart from the faith and will be unable to endure under the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, this is the scripture I'm referring to. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work on an evangelist to fulfill your ministry. And so we see this sort of dichotomy here where if you're a believer who's under sound teaching, then the teaching and the word of God is purifying you, it's edifying you, it's building you up. But on the other hand, you have all those people out there, and there are lots of them who are getting bad teaching, who aren't in the word, or they actually have a bad Bible translation, and there are some. And so what ends up happening, when, as Paul said to Timothy, when somebody comes with good sound teaching, people like break under the teaching. They endure means they can't bear up. They can't survive under sound doctrine. And I see people on Facebook, some people, not a lot, who say something sound and then they just get flack from 12 different directions, saying it can't be this, or they're just making excuses and things like that. And instead they turn aside to myths. 
In the Greek, the English translation of endure could easily mean to bear up under. The word of God, the wisdom of God, will simply be too much for them. Sometimes the wisdom of God, if we're not careful, could end up crushing us. May we ask the Lord to purify us so that we can not only endure under the teaching of the word and wisdom of God, but actually thrive even though we come under fire. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 25, it says, Then I will turn my hand on you, speaking to the children of Israel, purge away your dross, your dross and remove all your alloy. And the Lord stated that he would purify the Israelites, remove the dross and alloys in their lives, something that is only happening to the remnant of Israel at this point, Jewish believers. Even if we don't want him to, his word states that he will do it anyway. Why would the Lord do that? To purify us. Although we will not achieve sinless perfection ever, the end result, called sanctification, achieves the same purpose as defining the purity of wisdom. God will purify us, just as his word is pure, because he has no other standard. Daniel 12, chapter 12, verse 10, talking about the end times, he says, many will be purified, made spotless, and be refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. Daniel states specifically that in the end times, many will be purified and made spotless, refined. Think about that. The Lord specifically states that in the end times, he will deliberately put his people Israel through the fire. And will he not do any less with us in our day, in our lives today? We will become more holy and pure, and the wicked will become more wicked. So... That's a prophecy of God that those who are pure will become more holy and those who are evil will become more evil. There's no end time revival worldwide. The Bible does not prophesy that. So if you see a believer acting more worldly and wickedly, is he a believer? Maybe not. Because if the spirit of God was in him, he wouldn't act that way. He's at least not listening to the spirit of God. The Ruach Adonai. The Lord, like his words and words of wisdom, will refine us and purify us. When he returns to the earth at his second coming, he will purify his people, Israel, and purify the earth as a whole with fire. Things will be different. Do you see the similarities in the scriptures of the description of the purity of God's word of wisdom? Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 through 3 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Or who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like soap for cleaning raw wool. And he will sit as a smelter or a purifier of silver. And he will cleanse the sons of Levi, Levi and purify them like gold or silver. Then they will become for Adonai those who present an offering in righteousness. God will use his spirit and his words in his wisdom and his, in his wisdom purify us, his people and Israel when he returns. The scripture specifically states he will refine the remnant of Israel. And he'll either do it through the tribulation or at this time he'll use it through hard times, what we're going through, or he, and he'll use, or he'll use the word of God to purify us. He uses wisdom 
in John chapter 15, Yeshua says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he trims so that it may bear more fruit. I think this scripture is related to holiness and purity in our lives. Just as the Lord gives us purity in his scripture and in his wisdom to do our everyday things in our lives, so he looks for us to bear fruit. So we hear God's word, his wisdom, and it changes us, and we bear fruit according to his standards. If not, he is apt to remove things from our life to get our attention. If, we still, if he still doesn't get our attention, he might take away our life and bring us home. Even if he does see fruit, even if we listen to his word and take heed to his advice and wisdom, he says, Yeshua says, he will still trim us, refine us, and put us through more fire. Why? So we become more pure, more fruitful, as God defines it. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, starting in verse 20, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That's what God's pure wisdom and word does for us. It sanctifies us, makes us useful for the Lord, prepares us for all his good works. And continuing, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. That sounds like today. God's word specifically says to refuse, to speculate, and to get in quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, <coughs> having been held captive by him to do his will. We need to adhere the advice of Paul to Timothy. We need to cleanse ourselves from the works of darkness and heed the wisdom of God. We need to allow ourselves to flee the old nature with its desires and seek after the fruits of the righteousness of God. We need to avoid disputes because they produce quarreling. And it does sound like social media a bit. Instead, we must be like God's words of wisdom, not quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach. So we're still supposed to correct, but we're supposed to do it in a spirit of gentleness. The wisdom of our lives lived out through the Ruach of Adonai, through the word of God, should, like Paul states, lead others to repentance, whether it's using our lives or our words or both. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for common use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That was James 4. 
And I want to close with this verse from Philippians 4 through 8. And just something to meditate on. Something I've, I've been reading a, a book on um, theology book. Uh, it's the, the whole gamut of God and um, all his teachings. And he ends each chapter with a, a meditation verse to meditate on. He doesn't explain it. And so I kind of like that idea. Philippians of chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Amen.